Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That is probably somewhat of a travesty Having me, then he told the people You can call me your majesty Keep your battery charged He know it won't stick, yo And it's not his fault you kick slow Should've let your trick hold Chick hold your sick glow Plus nobody couldn't do nothing Once he let the brick go And you know I know That's a bunch of snow The beat is so butter Peep the slow cutter As he utter the calm flow Don't talk about my mom, yo Sometimes he rhyme quick Sometimes he rhyme slow Or vice versa Whip up a slice of nice verse pie Hit it on the first try villain, the worst guy Spot hot tracks like spot a pair Fat asses, shots of the scotch From out the square shot glasses And he won't stop till he got the masses And show him what they know not through flows Of hot molasses, do it like the robot To headspin to boogaloo Took a few minutes to convince the average boogaloo It's ugly, like look at you It's a damn shame, just remember All caps when you spell the man name Hello and welcome to the Nile or Nine podcast. It is Nile and Andrea here on your feed and the first uh, episode of the Nile Nine podcast this year. Andrea, how are you? Hi, happy new year. Happy new year indeed. Let's just leave 2020 where it is and let's move forward and pretend it never happened. As much as I would love to leave it all there, there is one thing I need to address, Andrea, and that is the passing of MF Doom. On New Year's Eve, we received the news that one of the best rappers to ever do it MF Doom had passed away two months previous. MF Doom is a rapper who styled himself as a supervillain who wore a mask in public. He had died age 49 on Halloween night two months previous, but it was only being revealed at that time on New Year's Eve. The mysterious nature of that news just fed into the mythical status of somebody like Doom. Born Daniel Dumoulay, first known as Zev Love X, along with his brother Subrock and Rodan, was in the early 90s rap group KMD. After one acclaimed album in 1991's Mr. Hood, Subrock tragically died and a follow-up album, Black Bastard, was never properly released. Dumoulay re-emerges MF Doom at the turn of the century. Right above my government, Dumoulay, either unmarked or engraved, hey, who's to say? Doomsday, ever since the womb, till I'm back to the essence, read off the tomb. Either engraved or unmarked grave, who's to say? Pass the mic like Pastor Peas, like they used to say. Metal-faced Doom character quickly immersed himself in comic book, villain-inspired, self-produced albums that created a whole new mythos and an origin story. His MF Doom discography would include classic rap albums, like his debut, 1999's Operation Doomsday, 2004's MM Food, 2009's Born Like This, along with releases on split character aliases like King Jeteras, Take Me To Your Leader, Victor Vaughn's Vaudeville Villain, both released in 2003. There was a real fruitful period around that time, 2003-2004, where he released a lot of music. Mad Villainy, the collaborative album between himself and Mad Lib, 
Doom and Mad Lib as Mad Villain is widely considered one of the best underground rap albums of all time. Absolutely brilliant album. There are also collaborative albums with Danger Mouse as Danger Doom. JJ Doom with Janeiro Janelle, Neruvian Doom with Bishop Nehru, and his Special Herbs beat series showcasing his work as a producer, which often goes underappreciated in the dialogue about MF Doom. Doom's rap style is the most obvious thing about him. He was grizzled and dense, complex, funny, eloquent, and inventive in his use of stream of consciousness, word collages, and different rhythmic patterns and expectation-defying phrasing. Let's have a listen to Meat Grinder from the Mad Villain record. Tripping off the beat, kinda. Dripping off the meat grinder. Heat niner, pimping, stripping, soft, sweet minor. China was a neat signer. Trouble with the script digits. Double dip, bubble lip, subtle list, midget. Borderline, schizo, sort of fine, tits, dough. Quarter wine, order grind, quarter to nine, let's go. Ever since 10-11, glad she made a brethren. Then his last down. Seven alligator, seven after gates. I have a knock and no answer. Slow dancer, hopeless romancer. Dopest flow stanzas. Yes, no villain. Metal face to Destro. Guess so. Still incredible in escrow. Just say ho. I'll test the yayo. Wild West style fest. Y'all best to lay low. Hey, bro, day glow. Set the bet. Pay dough before the cheddar get away. Best to get Mako. The worst hated garden perpetrated. Odd favors demonstrated in the perforated rod labors. In all quad flavors. Later in the episode, flavors. we're going to be hearing from people who worked with Doom, including Lex Records, Tom Brown, and Mark Murphy of Choice Cuts, who brought Doom to Ireland. Both have some interesting stories to share about the chaos and pandemonium that Doom brought to the live arena. But first, there's no one else we could think of who's more qualified than Dean Van Wyn to speak about Doom's artistry. Dean was a previous guest on the show where we discussed the book he wrote about Ghostface Killer, who was one of Doom's closest collaborators. And so we will talk to him. We will talk. We will hear from Tom from Lex Records and we hear from Mark from Choice Cut. So let's kick it off. Let's hear a little bit of Rhymes Like Dimes to kick us off. Hey, yo, yo, y'all can't stand right here. In his right hand was your man's worst nightmare. Loud enough to burst his right ear drum close range. The game is not only dangerous, but it's most strange. I sell rhymes like dimes. The one who mostly keep cash, but brag about the broker time. Joker rhymes like the issue just having to see me trick. Classical slapstick rappers need chapstick. A lot of them sound like they're in a talent show, so I give them something to remember like the Alamo. Tally ho, a hot joker like Space Game. Came back for five years, laying the stage, same set. Electromagnetic Feel it blocks all logic spot and G-Shocks a biological clock When I hit it slid into the shit I thought I killed a goose Her power use was pure brittle water filter juice Keep a pen like a fiend Keep a pipe with him Gentleman who lent a pen to a friend who write with him Never seen this shit again but he's still my dunny The only thing that come between us is krillin' money KMD obviously is a huge huge influence on um, for a lot of people Yeah I think is. Because their legacy gets a little bit swallowed up uh, a little bit by by what Doom later did, and by the fact that it's there's such a quintessential kind of piece of his of his origin story. Um, so you know they kind of emerged. They put out this album, Mister Hood, in 1991, and it's as I say, it's it's in the vein of uh, a lot of that you know the New York stuff, like it's got loads and loads of samples, like really really great drum breaks. Um, that kind of had that kind of real past the mic ethos between each member. That old serpent has a goal, saying that he knew I felt getting still, he's a bit Yeah, that's a lie, but surely we'll trick him. Flip the coin, make him a gas face. Once again, that's how we kick shit. Fade and deck this to be solid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but who gets the gas for me? No gas face for SB15. No gas face for plus one, two, and three. No gas face for Michael and Peter. No gas face for the brand new dudes. Yeah, so it's in the kind of vein of like your Della Souls, your Tribe Called Quests. Then in 93, Doom's brother Subrock uh, gets killed in, in, a, in a, gets hit by a car crossing the, I believe it's the Long Island Expressway. And the following year, their follow-up album, which, which, 
Doom, uh, or not, well, finished without Subrock is cancelled and they're dropped from the label because of the um, some of the kind of controversial imagery that was on, on the cover. Um, so that be, kind of comes Doom's origin story, if you like, um, cursed and, and cast out by the industry in deep, deep mourning. He, he kind of falls off the grid for for about three, four years, and then he reemerges as this super villain character, you know, his voice is, is now, you know, deepened and, and has much, is much more kind of malevolent and his, his, his pre- presentation is, say, is that of, of this villainous character. So I think that because like so much of the, of the narrative, like that, that, that kind of experience in his life has driven the narrative of his later career, it does kind of swallow up sometimes the fact that KMD were an excellent group in their own right. And probably if Subrock hadn't died, we might be looking at them and in, in, are on the same level as, you know, Adela Soul. You know, he was kind of, he was always apart from the industry then after that. He didn't, like, KMD sounded like it was part of uh, a scene or a style where then after that, Doom's uh, whole thing was kind of completely separate. He went off on a different path and just forged his own thing. And 1999, Operation Doomsday, and after that he has this amazing run of releases. Sometimes I get confused about which order the albums came out in and considering you don't really know when he recorded things, like like Mad Villain, they they recorded parts of Mad Villain a couple of years before that came out. And um, because there was there was problems, I think there was leaks that uh, a lot of that early stuff that they did end up getting scrapped and, and redone. So, and like in the meantime, then he's putting, he puts out like other albums. So it's really hard to kind of trace his, if you want to, if you want to kind of put together his genesis around that time, it's, it's really, really difficult. Yeah. That four year period where he had Take Me To Your Leader, the King Jeter album, which is kind of this uh, B movie horror, three headed monster kind of style. He, that's a, the villain of this piece. I was released in 2003 in June. Then Vaudeville Villain comes out and that's uh, as Victor Vaughn, which is kind of the origin story of Doom, who is, uh, you know, the MF Doom character comes from Dr. Doom, who is a Spider-Man, you know, enemy, essentially. He's a villain in, in the Spider-Man cartoons. There's another uh, Victor Vaughn album that comes out the year later called Venomous Villain. In between all that somewhere is Mad Villain um, and Mad Villainy. And then after that comes M Food. So, and then the other thing about him is the, when it came to live shows, and I don't know, you ever seen Doom Live? Did you ever get to see him? Yeah, we, I believe you, you were at the show. I saw him twice um, at the Button Factory. Button Factory, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure you were at the first one anyway. I was at the first one, yeah. Um, and the second one was, he ended up playing the exact same, like, an ident- I'm pretty sure it was like an identical set to the first time. Because I remember you know, in the first show, you had like the fake DJ with the, yeah. I think he pretty much played DJ uh, Spacebar, yeah. So yeah. Mark from Choice Goods talks about that as well, yeah. Yeah, he pretty much, I think, played an iTunes playlist back backing. And then I think the second time I saw him, which was maybe one or two years later, he played the exact same show. But yeah, like, like even his collaborators could never quite get a lock on him. I'm sure if, if, if you talk to like the Stone Throw guys, I, I think I read recently that he was he was telling them He's been telling them for years that Mad Villainy 2 is 85% complete. Steve's always saying, oh, it's 85%, you know. Well, that might be a good time then to hear from one of those people who worked uh, a lot with MF Doom. This is, you're going to hear from now from Tom Brown, who signed Doom to his label Lex Records. And he put out records in his later half of his career from the likes of Danger Doom, the collaborative album with Danger Mouse from MF Doom, 2005. Born Like This in 2009, the likes of Neruvian Doom and JJ Doom that came after that. And uh, Tom has some information and Tom has some stories about Doom that are interesting. Let's hear a bit from Tom. How they gave his own show to Tad Goldstool. Any given second he could go mad postal. Stay waving that power band space cannon. And had the nerve to jump in the face. A race banning. Pumped out. Luckily he deaded it. Guess who's the smuck who's credited with editing it. Your man Motar to cop out and have no other career choice. He dropped out. I was kept at arm's length on, you know, like on Danger Doom, I was thinking with Danger Mouse. On Born Like This, you know, he, he'd ring up or Jazz would ring up or, you know, like somebody in his team. But quite often, Doom, you'd have a chat, send through music, ask for money. You know, like it's pretty normal. 
the first time I was kind of, I did anything like with him was, you know, really ambitious for Born Like This. And the record had taken three years to get delivered. And Tom York had said he'd do a remix. He'd done a couple of remixes and sent through the uh, finished remix and the instrumental. And I thought they were really cool. But Doom thought the, um, he just, that Tom hadn't placed the acapella right on the thing. And, and we were having this chat and I was like, you know, like you're always saying, you know, people just send you, you know, like doom beats, you know, like in quote marks, doom beats. Uh, oh, this is a beat I've made for doom. It's a doom beat. You know, I'm going to send it to him and, and get him to rhyme over it. And, you know, like here's a different kind of beat. Why don't you just drop those bars again, but over, over this weird beat with a guy singing in the background and, you know, like it feels like it's speeding up all the way through. And so he jumped off the phone and then about 10 minutes later sent back the, you know, the, the Tommy remix of Gazillionaire that, that we know, that's the acapella. And he just knocked it out like a challenge to, to see if he could do it. Villain here, have him shrilling in fear. I won't stop top ill until he a gazillionaire grilling stare. Yeah, your boy had drama. Got him on the mental plane, avoided bad karma. One solar inbred skin hand, a nigga joke. Plus a brand new chrome smoker with the triggers broke. I thought I told him fire and pins were separate. You find out later when he tries to go and rep it. Took a Jehovah money for an Arabic Torah. Charged in advance to translate it and ignore the sorta. One monkey don't stop, no slaughter. A junkie want a cop a quarter ton, run for the border. Know the drill, it ain't worth the overkill. Flow skill, still, there's no thrill. Fill a billion 10k bills in this pillar. And so the closer you got to Doom and the people around him, the more chaotic it would get. And it was deliberate. Like, and the idea was to make you feel like you were being shaken down. It was like, you know, like turning the corner and running into the school bullies and, you know, like, or, you know, running into some bad kids. One time... We had Doom playing a Lex show in Kentish Town, just up from Camden. And, you know, the usual pandemonium had ensued. They claimed that the rider was not, not right, you know, even though they'd supplied it. And, you know, and it's weird because, like, I also knew Doom socially, Daniel socially, in a one-on-one way. You know, we spent a lot of time together when he moved to London. But... It didn't matter if I'd seen him for a pint earlier that day even. The, the chaos would resume as soon as like his crew were around him. And, and so he did this thing where he was like, okay, you know, like, uh, you know, like Klingon, Ben Klingon was going, that's it. He blown it. Doom's leaving the building. And he walked out, got into the, the waiting cab. This is a few years later at um, the Kentish Town Forum. He got into the cab and drove off and we were watching him because it was our cab on the app and he was just doing laps of Regent's Park, you know, it's just like a perfect circle a mile away and we were just watching the car go round and round in circles and then eventually he came back, you know. But, I mean, it, it was it was designed to instill, instill panic and confusion in uh, everybody who was involved with him in a, on a transactional basis. <laughs> but Doom had his nice side as well, and we'll hear now from Mark from Choice Goods, who brought Doom over twice to play in Dublin, about his experiences, even though even though Doom made people wait for 90 minutes on stage, the hijinks was going on off stage. But after the show, everything was cool, and Mark was able to enjoy his company. The Button Factory, yeah, it was a bit, bit of hijinks, a bit of like, what is going on here? What have I entered into? Um, but... <laughs> He kind of like I stayed up quite late with him after the show. Like I had him in the Morrison, which is just kind of like just a we just walk back after the show. And his like kind of manager bodyguard Ben, who was a big huge guy, like he kind of just left, and then it was just me and him kind of just drinking for the evening, which was great. And you know, there's just a lot of kind of common ground to discuss. And I think he kind of liked that, and like I think he liked that it wasn't like a big huge you know, kind of ordeal to to me. I, I was just like, thanks, nice. And he was like, let's go for a Guinness. Let's have a whiskey, you know, let's have a Baileys. And he was like having a Bailey or Guinness, Baileys and a whiskey every round. I remember that. Um, 
and you know we were like we're up to like god knows hours but yeah it was it was great just to kind of hang with him so it was like the masks off he's just you know very interested in what i'm doing he's just asking questions about ireland you know talking about england what he's up to with his new uh releases and stuff so it was like you know as a, as a fanboy it was a superb a, spur, a superb evening out after the show which so there's a bit of background info, what it was like to hang out with Doom and what it was like to work with Doom. I think in an era now where you've got the social media access, uh, TMZ, reality TV, all that stuff, kind of stars are more accessible than they've ever been. And he was one of the, the real few who, who held a mystique. Um, like uh, some big, big pop stars can, can, can hold a kind of mystique to them, but he, he was the one who had a true sense of mystery surrounding him. That makes me think of uh, some, something that you wrote in your introduction to your Substack piece that you um, you put out in, in the wake of the news of his death. Um, you said uh, that the he, he's a rapper that felt more mythos than man. And I wonder how, how much of what you love about him is beyond the music and in this kind of secretive mask wearing always keeping you guessing as to what's going on, keeping you guessing as to whether or not that's really him at the gig. Uh, this all, all this kind of fun and joy that surrounds the character and surrounds all the different characters that he he plays. Um, I wonder just what, what, what impact did, did that have on you and the and what what you think the, the impact of this sort of character driven rap music had on his contemporaries and, and the people that kind of followed him? I do find the presentation and 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 the the, the mystique he held and and the mythos to be impactful. It wasn't just an image. When you think about what he went through with KMD and and you know losing his brother uh, and how he kind of came back as this person who felt probably scorned by the industry, you know, rejected in a little way, decided to to re. re- discover himself as as a villain and, and leaning towards Dr. Doom. And as you say, like the Vaudeville Villain album goes deep into the into the the genesis of Dr. Doom as well. And how he saw parallels with with that and himself. And how he very rarely showed vulnerability on his on his albums, but when he did, he they were they when he let something through, like when he you know, dedicate a a song to Sub Rock's brother. It was always quite impactful. The, the the package was was moving as well to me because I think there is like an element of truth to a lot of those kind of stories. And if we're talking about the idea of superpowers and and what 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 it's like the idea that superpowers might exist, um, like for me, he rapped so well that it probably qualifies as like a superpower. I mean. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people believe that that comes from a higher place that we don't to never understand and it was gifted to him. Or maybe you believe that it's inherently instilled in some humans naturally that we have special abilities that other people don't have. But yeah, for me, if he had the kind of the powers that you know, he, he almost presented. And, and I'd say he couldn't have been dedicated so much to to that character and um, or to the, the form I suppose he took if it, if it wasn't natural to him. And then there was, it just, it, as I say, it seemed to come natural to him. I mean, like ridiculous things, you know, crazy stuff always kind of seemed to happen when he was around. And like, I, I think I, I put, a, I posted this, that story just when we were talking about that button factory gig, the first one, um, when he, he pulled up uh, like a couple of women onto stage just to kind of dance around. And I recognized one of them who was like um, a, she was on the apprentice, the Irish apprentice at the time. So that had had like wrapped, I'm sure, I think they'd finished filming, but it was in the middle of the season when they were, they were, it was still on TV and she was still on the show. And uh, it was just like one of those things like Doom could never have known (laughs) who she was, but this kind of natural ridiculousness always just seemed to kind of follow him. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, say like when you went to his gig and that you I think that gig was probably 
pretty maybe it was at the height of kind of the doom posters and when he was sending other guys in metal masks to, to his shows what, from what i understand in the last two weeks is um listening to a lot of people talk about him and it's like the imposter thing literally came from the fact that he wanted his money and he couldn't be in two places at once. So he's just like, let's just send somebody else in the mask to do it. And they did. <laughs> like, it's literally as simple as that. He's just like, there's a lot of, I've heard a lot of talk about him uh, getting that feta and wanting that money um, and getting paid in full uh, up front and making that big part of the show and, and, and before he went on and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there is that, you know, you want his, you want uh, Victor, you want, you want MF Doom, you got to pay him first. You got to pay him up front. Uh, what is the, uh, the line from, um, one of my favorite, um, like half up front, half upon master. <laughs> Would you like that in cash? The last thing you should ask the King from phasers. Um, so let's talk a bit, a bit about like some of his lyrics. Actually, let's play a bit of a uh, vaudeville villain actually. I caramba, now that's my number. One dry summer, as far as I remember, burnt out. We're getting every edgy penny. Then he hit him straight to the head like Reggie Denny. Call him back when you need some more yak, horse yak. Doing 80 down the van with one horseback. Your man's sick, but he wrecked tracks, puto. Get back to bro, exact the mundo. Victor the director flip a script like Rob Reiner. The way a lot of dudes rhyme, their names should be knob shiner. For a buck, they likely dance the jiggle, do the huckle buck. To Vic, it's no big deal, they just a bunch of knuckle fucks. You wonder how well would they hold up in the holding cell? It sorta had the strange makings of a tale told in hell. Like, oh well, hold tall riches. If the feds is really after them, they just told all the snitches. And borrow time rhymes, gas by the silver screen. They act like they monkey ass, get heal back like Wolverine. Mellow out with y'all bellow out, y'all yellow mouth What happened to the type of spit that used to help a fellow out? No doubt, he's a rapper in a body cast I wonder what he was doing while we was in karate class Snotty ass, it's really like he was a white belt Right before he night-night, ask him how the light Okay, so let's talk a bit about like Doom's actual rap style Because, you know, how do you even explain it? It's dense, it's cryptic, it's complex, it's kind of stream of conscious but it's not because it sounds like that but it's every word is carefully chosen and and put in like i love there's so many like simple lines that he has as well that i like really always stand out to me like you're there on vaudeville villain i crumba and that's my number one dry summer as far as i remember you know just very simple or like uh, to name names a really big fan of dan Aykroyd, for example you know it's just like the kind of thing that people use in in their lyrics that they just no one else really does no one else really does that and I even like talk about phasers i love that kind of his own biggest fan and he got a uh, fan base as big as japan yeah and like just really really simple but like really super effective he was a bit of a master at that not only the the other part of him is that he was so good at switching up the rhythmic patterns in his uh, and the syllables in you know the famous example is uh, on on great days like uh, and i wish they fixed the door to the matrix there's mad glitches spit so many verses sometimes my jaw twitches one thing this party could use is more booze last wish i wish i had two more wishes and i wish they fixed the door to the matrix's mad glitches spit so many verses sometimes my jaw twitches one thing this party could use is more <coughs> yourself in your own shoes and stay away from all the pairs of busted tims you don't use what about you uh dean what do you think um what what was his you talked to it as a superpower his, his rap style so what about his word choices well when even when dre asked me there about his what other artists have taken from him or or i suppose his, his lasting influence i don't think as soon as anyone uses internal rhyme patterns they're instantly uh compared to doom like he he absolutely perfected that that technique like even even listening to just those two bars i mean he's like in two bars there he's or two lines he's like he's right carumba number summer remember you know um it, I, it, just as a as a rap critic you're constantly moved to compare things to doom when you when other people use these kind of patterns and in other cases well when like when people rap over weird pop culture samples or drop weird pop culture references um because that's another thing he had this incredible hold on or incredible knowledge of is this sense of americana where obviously the comic books were were, th were big things but like old there was a kind of a sense of old gothic soap operas um 
but yeah, I think he, he stuff like that would be would work into his into his music and then there's like the Japanese pop culture stuff as well like King Dieter as you mentioned there's always a sense of, of of him being somebody that's playing I think this there's a wonderful playfulness to to him it's almost like he's he's accessing or allowing access to a a kid who is just you know sitting on the floor in their living room just surrounded by comic books and VHSs and like pictures on the wall from like their favorite movies and TV shows and doing it in such a such a slick and poetic way but not losing the idea that this is somebody that's playing and then that obviously transforming into him playing with words and playing with rhymes and playing with samples he just always sounds even though he has this kind of like his tone when he's rapping isn't exactly huge and like upbeat and like bombastic or anything he just it just sounds like somebody that's having a lot of fun you know some of the other things like he i suppose you could say pioneered almost like he'd frequently rapped about himself in the third person um you know things just like well just bending bending the rules of, of of what you could do and you say like every every it's i almost you could almost compare it to a bit like a, ja- a jazz drummer where every every syllable was in just felt like it was in the correct place and and to talk about super, yeah, super powers, I mean, like you have to have this just superhuman knowledge of timing and and language um, to to make this work. And then he, of course, like he, he mixes that with when you think of how nimble his wordplay is and how nimble his flow is, and he he mixes that with this voice which uh, felt like was so gruff and so like powerful and then even like the older he got and the the kind of the, almost the deeper his voice got like you get to um some of the later albums like like born like this and his you can hear he's like it's he can hear it's almost as if he's had too many cigars and whiskeys his voice is just it's, it's, it's continuing the octave just continues to drop and yeah he never lose lost that that nimbleness of what he could do um yeah he does refer to it actually on Keys to the Cuffs in a way. I mean, here's a good example of a, of a line he manages to um, rhyme uh, a vocal with the uh, Icelandic uh, volcano, Ayefagoko. So, you know, like those kind of things. He was able to do that, but he was also able to do something very simple as well. Yeah, and and uh, one of the things as well that... that, that sometimes gets I suppose because he was such a, a singular and exceptional rapper even in tributes people have kind of forgotten that he he often went missing on his albums like there's some albums that he's that he didn't rap on like a lot like even on Take Me To Your Leader is a good example yeah he's not really on that yeah album. he he that was that was like he produced I think he produces every song on that and 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 lends lends space to all his his kind of collaborators, which were just another, which it was just another ripple to the mystery of the man, where he had he had this kind of platoon of of henchmen uh, almost, where you never quite knew who they were, or what they were doing. Like sometimes underground rappers would appear on his on his albums under alternate names, and you know he had those kind of a, few, a couple of core guys like uh, MF Grimm and and Mr. Fantastic, uh, who who you know he he would deploy, but like didn't you know didn't achieve a whole lot outside of like the the doom universe i suppose um and then like he frequently did like he dedicate a lot of space on albums to just audio from cartoons and all other sorts of of sources that he'd find and he'd splice it together and and use that to, to kind of push the narratives that he wanted and he like i say he, he i think he, he just had a he had a great obsession i suppose or or hunger for for these different parts of, of pop culture and, and and but you never felt like even even when he wasn't around on his albums it was never a kind of a a less is more kind of thing you always felt his presence you know he almost felt like he was always like the guiding hand well that's because he was his production was always there wasn't it pretty much like if it wasn't on his own albums yeah and that's another thing that kind of goes overlooked sometimes like he had a really really singular production style where you think songs like uh you know beef rap and and where he he samples like audio from a 
from a Spider-Man cartoon, but it's almost, it's so, like, he doesn't try to hide, I, I, if you go back and actually watch the original Spider-Man cartoon, like, it's he, it's basically un, unvarnished, like, he just takes it, and I think so many people would think, well, you just can't do that, like, it just doesn't work, but Enough. he was... You talk of the people's rights. The people have only those rights which I choose to give them, and that's for their own good, believe me. I do do. But the prisoner. Ah, uh, yes. The young traitor who is trying to turn my people against me. Watch him. I have special plans for that one. Beef rap could lead to getting teeth capped or even a reef from armed dudes for some beef crap. I suggest to change the diet. It can lead to was, He had the bravery, I suppose, to kind of bend those rules. And then, like, say, he, he produced for. for you know, Ghostface and, and did some great stuff. On mm. on New Year's Eve, when the when the news broke, I um I I told Harry, uh, boyfriend Harry, listeners know who he is, um, who is the the biggest MF Doom fan that that I know. Um, and so naturally, a, a good portion of the rest of the evening was spent just kind of li- listening to his music and him playing me some of his his kind of choice tracks. And something that he said to me was that MF Doom is such a good rapper um, that his production often goes overlooked, that he's that he's also one of the greatest producers that's ever worked in the genre. I, I wonder if if you'd agree with that, if he is if he is overlooked as, as a producer, because we talk so much about his lyrics and his rhyme schemes and all of the stuff that he did to kind of push that area of rap yeah and i think part of that is the consequence of the fact that he was off his albums were often defined because he do he did a lot of joint albums with producers like um like danger mouse and obviously madly than that but yeah and and the fact that he was he he was a collaborator of guys like madly and jay dilla who were famously picky about who they worked with Uh, yeah i kind of suppose the consequence of of those two things somewhat overshadow what he could do as, as a producer but um he, yeah as i say he was just just in, incredibly singular and and original as, as a producer and um and then you even you take something like um uh dead bent which he he uses things like the, the sample for isaac hayes's um version of walk on by like that's an absolute just crate digging staple like no no rap no rap producer doesn't have that and it's been used on it's probably one of the most sampled soul songs of all time but the fact that he could he took that and and he did stuff with it that you know maybe no one else's is brain could even could even contemplate like um you know i know the producer uh, grip grand who who and did a like one of the best um, unauthorized Doom projects called GG Doom, which people should listen to. But he he kind of calls that song like this 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 masterpiece of of tension and release. Where if you listen to to, to Dead Bent for m- most of the song, he he's kind of flipping between two chords, which are noticeably um, e- are easily identifiable from from the the Isaac Hayes song, but then it just builds this kind of like it's like a rumbling tension to it and then he releases that tension by playing a, a sweeter portion I had this style ever since I was a child. I got this upper style, I ain't flipping a while. It goes your science. For the, the natural ability he had with rapping, um, he also had a just a yeah, he had an instinct as well for, for things like loops. <laughs> yeah, and sampling people like Shade and Steely Dan and all sorts of stuff. So just Right, right. Yeah, because as I say, like as as much as cartoons and, and comics and monster movies and all that were part of his a part of his taste and made a part of his his artistry in the end that he was he loved the, the kind of 80s sophista pop sound um shade i think like uh 
Jody Watley was another per- person he, he sampled. Um, so yeah, like those, those, that kind of era of, I think that's a, I think that's a really great era for, for soul music actually. Um, who was the, Anita Baker as well. It's like he, 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 he was able to kind of draw from those sources, which I think because maybe it's, it's a, a more unheralded, unheralded, uh, era than kind of like the seventies and the Stevie Wonder stuff and all that kind of stuff. It always gets samples that he, that again, like it, it kind of set him apart a little bit. I, I wanted to ask uh, but both you guys. Um, so I, I sort of came to doom really not that long ago, probably about six years ago or something. Uh, I was, I was really late. Um, and I guess I, I found getting into him and his music really really overwhelming because I had no idea where to start there were all these different characters everything isn't collated nicely on Spotify in his artist profile you know so for and I I I kind of eventually found my way in but through a lot of um it it kind of took a lot of work on my part to to find the aspects of, of of his music that I liked the most so what I wanted to ask kind of both of you where for for somebody who's who's listening to all this and thinking, oh my god, this all sounds like it's going to be a lot of work. Where would you recommend somebody to start um, if you're just getting into? This yeah, see, act? I mean, you say obvious album. I mean, the thing is, probably the most celebrated album is Mad Villainy, which is not really an MF Doom album, but it is to me to a lot of people, it's a peak of his rapping style. It's a peak of the kind of dense wordplay, but it's also paired with Mad Lib's uh, productions. Um, so, I mean, that's a great place to start because it's considered by a lot of people to be the, one of the best underground rap albums of all time. And then after that, I mean, personally, I guess, I mean, we all take our own journeys into this stuff. I mean, I think what you have to remember is that it, like there's Mad Villain, there's MF Doom, then Victor Vaughn and King Jeter are the main names associated with Doom. Um, his first album, Operation Doomsday, has a has a lovely charm to it is as well because it, it does kind of establish the origin. I love that. I think one of my favorites is probably Vaudeville Villain because it's so plays up to that villainous backstory with the cartoon samples and stuff like that. Um and then look if you're if you're interested in those two then uh, I think you're you'll be flying after that because what came afterwards is stuff like Born Like This. You had then the album with uh, Danger Mouse called Danger Doom, which is essentially a pretty funny one. Actually, I was really into it at the time. That's one of my favorites. That's that's one of the ones that when when I found it, I, I think I went from Mad Villainy to uh, to um Food and then to Danger Doom, and I was like, oh, I think this is where I live. This is this this is my little house here. Because that was essentially like I think it was a free album at the time. I think it was a free. Oh, yeah? I think, was that, am I right in saying that? I think it was given out free as part of like an Adult Swim kind of uh, on the website originally. And then um, there was properties. I could be wrong about that, but um, I kind of remember that at the time. And, you know, the whole thing about that is that it's really leans into the cartoon thing. It's essentially a marketing exercise for Adult Swim and, and a lot of the characters that they had, like Aqua Teen, Hunger Force and uh, uh, Space Ghost and stuff like that. But it, it, I, to me, like, I love it. I think it works so well and and... Uh, the two like it was one of those albums where it was like yeah uh danger mouse and doom together and this makes more this makes a lot of sense mm. i don't the thing about it is i mean you get then you get to there was a bit of a break between that album and then um born like this in 2009 which is maybe a little bit darker and comes after features some like the ghostface stuff um and then there's other maybe less important stuff um i think probably his latter career does struggle a little bit to to live up to the the past stuff but there's still great stuff on every album that's the thing mm. that's why that's why doom is so prolific like i've been listening to doom for now the last two weeks since we found out uh that he passed and there's very little there that you'd want to skip you mm. know what what about you dean in terms of like best place to start well yeah a way in you know when you, i did the album ranking piece that that mm. you mentioned um i Everything, I, the first, it was, it kind of became a, a 10. Um, I didn't do the KMD stuff in that. Uh, but the first six were 
naturally, like easily. I rank them easy, but literally the, the top four at different times, I had them all in completely different order. Like there was a time when each one of the top four was number one. And eventually, it, I mean, I could have completely shuffled those four. So which were eventually went uh, one was Mad Villain, two was two vaudeville villain i think three um food and four four was operation doomsday so i mean it's just so hard to separate those like they they're kind of different sides i mean the 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 mad villain one is is i I compared it to when marvel comics did their ultimate universe stuff around the kind of turn of the, the the millennium which was them retelling the origin stories of their best characters or some of their best love characters for a more modern age. So things like instead of being bitten by a radioactive spider, Spider-Man is now bitten by a biologically engineered spider, shit like that, you know? Um, Nick Fury becomes the changes from the the kind of square-jawed white guy he had been to, to literally looking like Samuel Jackson. Like mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson was in the comic before he was cast in the movies, funny enough. Uh, so... That album kind of feels like that to me, where it's this just taking the Doom origins, taking everything you know about him and just refining it and and not so much updating it because he he still obviously was around, hadn't been around for very long at that point as Doom. But um, yeah, I suppose just just polishing it and, and presenting it in this new, really, really interesting way because he had a like a hand like like Madlib to help him. But all, all four of those are just classics. Like, that's the thing, like all all great rappers don't make great albums. Um, Doom made the albums, like he has so many classics. Uh, I I wouldn't put really anyone above him. I think when I kind of think about my favorite rappers, I kind of have the, the Holy Tree three rather, which is Doom, Biggie and Ghostface. Uh, I'd probably put Kanye in there if it's like a four as like the four great rap artists. But then Kanye's not as good as rapper as the other three. So mm-hmm. if you have if you have to have if, if you're taking great rapping as a prerequisite to be at the top table, then I would say those three. Um so yeah, I I, I began like when you think of all the things you need to be to be a great rap artist, you obviously you have to be able to rap, you've got to make great albums, you have to be a great beat picker, collaborative picker. Um being a great producer obviously helps, which 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 he was. Um, I'm, I'm actually I don't like uh, Danger Doom as much. <laughs> funny enough, no. Oh, it's definitely dated a bit. It's definitely dated a bit. When I say that, like we have to kind of pre say prelude that by saying that it's still better than like 99 percent of all rap music. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking come at me, right, little Mister Experts over here. I like my little Danger Doom album. Okay, I it's love fun. It too. I love it too. Funny. It's a good time. It, it makes me think of a sunny day. It's Maybe it was just fun. too too on the nose for me. It was like <laughs> beforehand, they're like, you know, a a Adult Swim themed album where the producer <laughs> is a guy who's taken his his moniker from the, the cartoon character Danger Mouse. Uh, mm. this maybe just it just all worked a little bit too well on paper when when i heard when i listened to that album first i had no idea about the adult swim connection or a- anything like that i just kind of heard it as as it was like i didn't even know any like most of the characters that he was talking about i was just like this this character seems cool this this seems fun and then i kind of learned about that later and i was like yeah i don't mind it that's fine. I'm I'm kind of I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't I'm glad I didn't know about it beforehand because I, I think that might have colored how I thought about it. But I think, I think it's it really, is better really not fun. to know about it for sure. It, yeah. It kind of so, be, so, so sorry like, to all the listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's just looking at the track list does have really some good songs. So it's got that it's got yeah. a space filler song. Space hose is a really good song. Yeah, and in fairness to Doom, like he took that and ran with it, like doing songs about. Um, those artists or those um, those cartoon um, characters and he really does you know as you'd expect from a man who's a super villain himself really embodies you know all about that even the song about Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force you're like this is good crack right <laughs> we need food what are you doing there I'm rapping yeah no no I see that what for money Got um, I want just some steady bitches and hoes, and some candy for my nose, some dinosaurs, a roll with my chrome. Hey, genius! You even know what that means? 
<laughs> what does it mean? Where's the keyboards and the tambourine and the guitar? And you know, I mean, the stuff that like white people like. You want a piano? Something badass. Like, uh, I don't know, like uh, Ariel Speedwagon or something. Oh, yeah. Hey, yo, I know this dude, right? Carl, he wore tight blue sweats but wasn't glued too tight. All he had upstairs was a crude light. You think that's weird? He lived next door to a food fight. Howdy, danger, much obliged for the beat guard. Even though you still eat lard by the meat ward. Mesquite charge. Speaking of which, who? Voice all squeaky like they tuned it up a picture too. And uh, Dean, so obviously you're you're an expert of uh, in ghost face, all aspects ghost face. So do you know much about like how they hooked up in the first place or, or why? Not really. I mean, that's the thing. Like, so much of Doom's life is just is just completely mysterious. Like, he was like one of the things that I've been thinking about in the last few days is that I st- I still don't know if he ever got back to America after he got he got his he he yeah he was refused entry because he was um he was born in Britain. Uh, though he did not he he was born in Britain and moved to New York. I I believe. See, you can never be sure what he tells you, but. I believe that his um, his parents were apparently visiting London again, like back in London to visit family when he was born or something like that. Um, but he didn't identify at all, really, I don't think, as British, or at least he, didn't claim, he claimed he didn't. Um, but during a tour, because he never got American citizenship, during a tour, they didn't let him back in. And that's around, that's about 10 years ago. So... I don't know if he ever actually went, but managed to get back in. But like this, these are just these these kind of aspects, like the the, the mystery of the man. Well, I mean the the fact that he he died on Halloween night, and we didn't find out about it until or on on the thirty first of October at least. Um, we didn't find out about it until New Year's Eve, and like the in all of the group chats that I was in, or whoever I spoke to about it, ever everyone's like obviously shock but then the next thing is like well of course we didn't find out about it until now only him we could we could find out in this way like because the the immediacy of of i'm hesitant to use the word celebrity but of musicians and, and artists deaths um in the past decade or so with with social media and so on the the immediacy at which we find out about these things has just been so stark and for for this to have happened in in the way that it did, and for for the statement to be made in in the way that it was, it just sort of underscores that mystery a, a, around the man himself, you know. Yeah, well, there's here's a man who wore a mask in his in his uh, public persona, but you know, like it has been noted that you know he wore a mask not only to protect himself but also to keep people at bay maybe that's part of it you know he could he could turn up in a bar in Atlanta and no one would have known if he was him he could turn up backstage or at his own gigs beforehand half the time and not be recognised so you know he did foster that mystique and I think it's a it is a very fitting end in terms of we still don't know how he died and we still don't know what the circumstances were Um, and but what we have learned is that Anyone else who knew him professionally and was close to him professionally didn't know about this until New Year's Eve either. So that is a surprise as well. Yeah, because like not only would it be is it really unlikely to think of another artist on his uh, of his legend who would whose death wouldn't be wouldn't be found out by the public for for two months. Um, the fact that that aspect of the story didn't surprise anyone, I think, tells tells how how little we really knew about him and like i i mean i, I didn't really love that stuff like sometimes there was times when he started he'd post videos from an island like this in, in, as if he was this was he was on his island lair and and, and things like that and he kind of had fun with it as well but i suppose just to answer your question about about ghostface um they yeah i mean i think it was pretty apparent how why they were kind of so naturally went together like they both had that appreciation for for comic books when you think ghostface had often brought samples from cartoons into his work as well and he he gravitated towards iron man for his reasons um and one thing about doom as well is like as much as we talk about like the classic albums you have to also think about the albums that didn't get made like mad villainy 2 which maybe some material from we'll, we'll hear again but also there was the really long touted swift and changeable album that was going to be a, a joint album with him and ghostface killer which 
which never which never came to be and is that like the Doomstarks record? Doomstarks, yeah, exactly. Doomstarks, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, now might be the time to hear from Tom Brown from Lex Records again because he has a very particular uh, story about uh, Doom and Ghostface, one of the shows that the two of them did together in London and uh, a more panic and a pandemonium that ensued from that. And he also talks a little bit about the Doomstarks record as well. So let's hear from Tom. You know, I'm sure he thought of him as a... Uh a friend or an equal or whatever, but he was also kind of in awe of that era of classic Wu-Tang Clan. He'd been booked to play with Ghostface, who he'd already essentially recorded an album with, um, in the 100 Club, which is a tiny kind of classic jazz venue in London. And it was the night he met Bishop Neri. I'm not giving anything away, but he... He came, he checked himself out of hospital that day because, and everyone there would have known that because he was wearing a hospital gown with a jacket over it, presumably, so his butt didn't stick back on stage in the 100 Club. Nobody seemed to comment on it much, but he was wearing a hospital gown, the mask, and he brought his laptop and just plugged in the the laptop and, you know, as he used to call it at shows, you know, DJ Spacebar. I think the thing with Doom Starks was they had a real chemistry, recorded a bunch of stuff. It had a really deep running theme, you know, which was that kind of Charlie's Angels, New Yorky murder mystery thing. And the some of it got cannibalised by, by more fish, one track, Angels, ended up on Born Like This, um, which we'd already released as a kind of standalone, you know, like digital single at that stage, and then, or a different version of it. And they were kind of at that kind of two-thirds stage of getting an album together. Then a f- quite a few years later, you know, after both their voices had changed, there was another attempt, and they started working together and and recorded some more stuff that didn't sound as good. There are probably other ones dotted around. But I mean, you know, I kind of think, you know, like, you know, I don't know how it would work creatively or artistically, but there's definitely enough material to pull together a kind of classic era MF Doom unreleased album of tracks, you know, from the Doom Starks and Hey yo, it was three white bitches who worked for Tony Starks. Undercover agents far beyond knocks. Amazed by their beauty marks. Wonder Woman bracelets, knee-high boots that was made by clocks. My dick got hard on how they spoke and shit. Every language was music to the kid as if if I was modern day King Midas. Doreen Sky and Kelly, Starkey's Angel Shylands, Friday's throw what happened in the streets of Brooklyn. Plus, I played the whip real low, cause my face was rough and my angels jetted out of Albie Square. Gun out, rapping their head, kinda crowded, so they clapped in the air. Chasing nigga down block for block, squeezing glocks. These mommies real anxious to blow off his top. He's a rapist, murderer, convict, burglar. The more they ran, the more these skirts got dirtier. Sending shots like check day, FedEx Expressway, boom, bang. Bing, you heard the gunplay. Who shot the duck out the window? Mr. Lee said, three pay now. You fucking weed head. We can stop the fire. The suspect, he's dead. Then I pulled up. Come on, girls, the club, man. Stay tuned for the conclusion. Three is company. Family jewels. Two brown sisters assisted the villain doom. He woke up stoked like they were still in his room. Freed his right arm and leg. It was more like a sweep. Released his other leg. Arm, head, and rose to his feet. Staggering except for the socks and mask naked Threw on the box and searching for the trio Checking for the keys to go A robbery expected yet nothing obvious was missing Recollected now why Hollywood hotties Stepped into something and nineties Personal nurses, Chanel, person, CLK, shoddy Tracer Patrizzi with Thai iced tea She drive wild nights to veggie fried rice spice. Do you think now we'll we'll hear some of that, uh, that music maybe? Oh yeah, and I'm sure there's like loads of stuff Floating around on hard drives that that we'll have to hear and and yeah but like see you never really knew kind of when a lot of this stuff came from like a lot of times as well you'd hear about there's going to be a new doom track or a new new produced by doom collaboration or something and the beat would end up being from his kind of special herb series which which he put out years ago of, of just beats uh so like that like just you couldn't never quite 
keep up with exactly when he did he did what um yeah even when if, if, a, if a new doom song came out and you kind of wanted to write about it you always had to consider well that probably shouldn't take this necessarily in time um it doesn't say too much it might not say anything about what doom is up to or who he is at this particular moment in time oh, this could have been recorded three four years ago um but yeah I am, no, I am sh- i'm sure that there's probably a bunch of stuff out there um that will that will see the see the light of day i don't know if it, we're gonna get the full doom star trek or anything like that uh, but but i'm sure some stuff will, will start to come out um even like yeah, I mean, people piece together their own things. Like it's, uh, Stones Throw did a pretty good Twitter thread of of all the um, the Dilla Donuts, the, the beats from from that album that Doom had rapped over. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Like like these are beats that I think any other rapper would slowly walk towards the studio door if they were asked to asked to rap on. And and yeah, you can really see why I suppose he was one of one of the the rappers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Lightworks was the one from Born Like This that uh, he actually did rap over as well, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, and that's like perfect example of like how you get your head around writing a verse to that that beat yeah. is 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 crazy. Um, but that's a really good album as well. Actually, I think I think. Speaking of, you know, when I say Danger Doom isn't as good, it's just we have to put it by incredibly high standards. I feel like sometimes like that, well, that album was kind of a later one, so it wasn't as, it didn't kind of get as critically revered, but probably because people were comparing it to the old stuff. But I think that album holds up really well. And it was, uh, I think it was a good evolution of him too, because, you know, he, as I say, his, he came back and his, his, his voice had gotten kind of deeper and it, it, the whole album's a lot more sinister and, you know, instead, he'd kind of gone from, you think, all the way back to the KMD stuff when he was rapping back alongside these kind of Sesame Street characters and then through to, like, the comic book stuff. And then on this album, he's following this Bukowski verse um, about <laughs> about things like, you know, being cheaper to, to die than to go to hospital and, and stuff like that. Um, it was just, a, I think, a good, a great evolution of the sound. It's a, it's a pretty underrated album. Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's plenty there for anyone who is not familiar with Doom and even the people who are familiar with Doom. Uh, and hopefully, um, you know, we may hear some more music from this underground bunker, this underground lair of his that um, maybe did exist, maybe didn't exist. Maybe it was in London, maybe it was in New York, maybe it was in Atlanta. That's part of the the, the fun of, of the Doom character of, of MF Doom overall is like you never knew where he was going, where he came from. And uh, sadly, we do know that he isn't going to be around anymore, but there may be more music uh, to come. Who knows? But in the meantime, uh, we lift a Guinness to uh, Doom himself. Thanks again to Dean Van Wyn, um, whose book, Iron Age, The Art of Ghostface Killer, is out now on headstuff.org. You can buy it. Um, and thanks also to Tom Brown from Lex Records and Mark Murphy from Choice Cuts for their um, contributions on MF Doom. Andrea, um, we will be back in the next couple of weeks uh, before before January is out with another episode of the Not Another Podcast uh, maybe talking about some of the favourite music we've, we've enjoyed in January we will see we will see but um, until then um, anything else to add Dean also wrote a brilliant piece um, on his substack, deanvanwyn.substack.com called The Power and the Peril MF Doom's Albums Ranked um, and that is a tribute slash ranking of all of his albums and it's a brilliantly written piece from uh, uh you can subscribe to my substack andreacleary.substack.com and our patreon is patreon.com forward slash neither nine thank you so much to everybody who's signed up for it so far and we have a lot of really fun plans for 2021 some different things and some similar things so stay tuned Stay tuned. Uh, we'll finish with a bit of MF Doom. Why not? What is the magic that makes one's eyes sparkle and gleam, light up the skies? The name of the game is like. I see you peeing in your pants, little sissy boy. Jerks.
Welcome to the octagon, lay a player flat before the trainer felt his clock was on. Keep your socks torn, it's a boxathon with hard rock, black rock, and Ron's going barbazon. Curled up, begging, laying on the canvas instead of in a ready position like praying mantis. Scissors, land this grand fist sandwich, stand switch, slam on stitches, switch hands itch. Damn snitch, any street corner could be the platform to meet the feet gonna wander. Watch your mouth draw south floor, outs floor. Doubt your clout more about raw outscore. Off the leash like UFC Off the beat, off your feet like two lefties F-U-B's, heifer please Lost a few to stew beef, new referees What a remarkable team, show your teeth Wipe off slight smirks The match was mapped out, get jabbed and crap slapped out, tapped out. Either the lunch bin or chokehold time, munchkins get punched in like vocal rhyme. Right hurts. Universal beatdown. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.